0: Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter one. Romans one is where we'll be this morning. Good to have our youth in here with us uh, this morning. Let's give them a hand. Woo! As Ryan was saying about uh, when we have those five Sundays, we usually invite our youth in here, and so that I can yell at them for. Uh, for an hour. So, uh, stay awake. Take good notes. Grab your notes. We'll get rolling here. So, Romans chapter 1, I am convinced of this. You should know this if you hang out here with us at Desert Breeze. There's no past hurt that can't be healed. There's no addiction that can't be broken, there is no problem that can't be overcome, and the promise is in the gospel. It's the first verse we'll be looking at in our text, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Power of God for salvation. What are you facing? I'll guarantee you that it doesn't exceed the power of God for salvation. Pretty amazing. And uh, so that's what this Gospel and Life teaching series is about. And we believe that grace changes everything. But there's something that we need to know. And uh, here's something else that I'm, I'm convinced of is that nothing can rob you of the fullness of life Christ came to give, would you guys agree that Jesus came to give us fullness of life? Show of hands. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. But nothing can rob you of that fullness of life except idolatry, except idolatry. And that's what we're talking about. This is part four of our teaching series, Idolatry, the Sin Beneath the Sin. You're probably saying, what is that about? Man, if you can understand this, you're going to really understand sin, it wasn't but a few years ago when I began to understand this whole idea of idolatry, it really began to change my life in, in a lot of major ways. And I'd been a Christian and pastoring for many years, but when I began to root out my idols, when I was able to identify those idols, I didn't know that I had all these idols in my life. And, and as I began to identify them, repent, and then rejoice in Christ and how He meets my needs in every, of these, every one of these areas that I was trying to f- have met in these idols, it revolutionized my life. I hope it does the same for you this morning as we, as we look at this topic of idolatry because idolatry is always the reason we ever do anything wrong. Idolatry isn't one sin among many, but it's the root of all of our sins. It is, it is the sin beneath the sin. And if you're really serious about life change, experiencing radical life change, experiencing the fullness of life Jesus Christ came to give us then you need to really get serious, take a serious look at what competes for your heart's deepest loyalties and affections from Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. And then we're going to read this text. It's pretty heavy hitting text. So we're going to need all the help we can get for God to illuminate our minds and our hearts and so that we have better understanding of what He's speaking to us. God we love you we worship you we give our lives to you there's no doubt about it our hearts are idle factories we battle every day against our sinful nature the values of our society our adversary Satan to keep from exchanging the truth of you for a lie and worshiping and serving created things more than you our creator it is a battle This idolatry, God, we know causes all kinds of problems in our lives, keeping us from the fullness of life that You sent Your Son, our Savior, to give us. So, Father, we know this morning that the cure to these disordered loves, these lesser affections for these idols, these counterfeit gods, are to have a greater, all-consuming affection for You. So, we pray, show us... Show us Your life-liberating, soul-satisfying glory through the study of Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. We begin reading chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then he explains this, the gospel. He gives us the definition of the gospel. This, my friends, is breathtaking to me. When you understand the implications of this next verse, it will revolutionize your life. It is the antithesis of all the major cults and religions of our world today. This is what he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or from faith to faith, as it is written... The righteous shall live by faith. The word righteous means to be, de- to, de- to be declared, I'll get it, to be declared in right standing with God, to have a relationship with God. The Bible makes it very clear that there is this eternal chasm that separates us from the eternal God, and there isn't anything we can do. All the major cults and religions of our world today basically say that you can earn your way, you can achieve your way there, But the Bible says, no, you can't. It can't be earned or achieved. It can only be received through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He bridged that gap. And so then He gives us this gift of righteousness, right standing before God. And the implications of that are just overwhelmingly beautiful. Nothing will bring greater freedom to your life than when you begin to live in the reality that all is well between God and me. All is well between God and us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I have access to the throne room of God. And so that's what he's talking about here. But then he goes into some really, really rough stuff here because that's not where the majority of the people on our planet earth are. This is where we are until we come to faith in Jesus. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So they have the truth. They're just suppressing it, and they're doing it through their unrighteousness. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them He's going to go on and talk about how there's plenty of revelation of the existence of God. How do we know there's a God? Because He has revealed Himself to us. How has He revealed Himself to us? He's going to tell us primarily, not primarily, but one of the ways that He he reveals Himself to us is through creation. We also know He reveals Himself to us through our conscience. We we see that in chapter 2 of Romans. But we also know that He reveals Himself to us through this word that we're studying this morning, but ultimately… He has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. He showed up here. But, but notice what he says here. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and by nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So, what is he saying? The revelation of creation. He's saying, Wake up, look around. There's a God. This just didn't all of a sudden happen. This is not an accident. That's what he's saying. And therefore, because of that, because of that, they are without excuse. We are without excuse. For his invisible attributes, let me reread verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The word made there is the word poema. It's a Greek word. where we get our word poem, it's the same word that's used in Ephesians 2.10 where it says that we are God's masterpiece. We are His craftsmanship. It's it's pretty significant. So from the things that are made… So when you look at at all of creation, He says… They are without excuse. One of these days, you will stand before God, give an account of your life, and you are without excuse because there's enough revelation of God in creation to accuse you that you ignored God. In fact, he goes on and he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So notice what he says there. They did not honor him. He's not at the center of their life, nor did they give thanks to God. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So you're going to see this downward spiral. When you don't live your life according to how God created you for God's glory, but you make life about yourself and about everything else, there's this downward spiral that begins to take place in our lives. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, I mean, that's, that's a profound statement. What we typically do is we take the beauty, the breathtaking beauty of the glory of God and we exchange that for a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. It'd be like taking the, the Rembrandt, some extremely expensive portrait, and then having it photocopied 100 times over and then trying to sell that for the same price that you ultimately sold the Rembrandt for, the, the expensive copy or the expensive original. And uh, that's what he's saying. He says, we have, we have chosen to give our lives to these things that are nothing more than copies When we have ignored the glory of God. And then in verse 24, therefore God gave them up, and you're going to see this three different times he says that, and you need to understand what that means. We'll talk about it in a minute. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. It's almost like, have at it. Whatever your heart desires, go for it. Let your passions run wild. Do whatever your heart pleases. So what he's saying, it's almost like God says, and by the way, this is God's passive wrath. So he gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now let's read verse 25 together. This is our definition of idolatry. We've already kind of been talking about it, but this is really a good definition of idolatry. You guys ready? Sit up in your seat, nice and loud. Let's read verse 25 together, one, two, three. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So you see what he's saying? So what we do, idolatry, is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. So that would mean that we think that we could find greater satisfaction. First of all, in unbelief, we don't believe that God's got our best interest at heart. In pride, we think we can do it on our own. And then so we begin to give our hearts to something anything else more so than what we would God. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the Creator. Verse 25, verse 26, for this reason God gave them up. There's that word again, so God gave them up. Anytime the Bible repeats certain phrases and ideas, it's getting something across. God gave them up, so there's this spiraling downward spiraling to dishonorable passions for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, to have a relationship with God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, he's going to go into even more specifics. If you've ever wondered, why is this planet Earth so full of suffering? Right here. We're answering that for you. People want to blame God, but man is an idolater who has rejected God, and and now he goes into even more specifics of the consequences. He says, "'They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, uh, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I mean, that, uh, welcome to America. We, we applaud people in their pursuits of ignoring God and pursuing anything and everything under the sun. Wow, you're into what? That's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. We do that. We live in a God-ignoring society, and um, it's rampant, and then we celebrate when people want to just ignore God and do their own thing, and they want to pursue whatever they want to pursue. And he's saying, "That's, that's what we are, that's who we are, that's what we're about. This is God's Word to us this morning. So, three questions we're looking at, I believe that this text helps us to answer, what is idolatry? What are the consequences of idolatry? You certainly could see that. And then we'll talk about how do I identify my idols? Well, you need to know what your idols are. If I, I had to be able to come up to you and say, hey, what are your idols? You got to know that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you got to know what you're wrestling with, what you're up against, what you're fighting. And as I stated, it was revolutionary for me. And then we'll talk about how I overcome idolatry. So first of all, what is idolatry? I'm going to take you through kind of the pathology or the etiology is what it's called. That means the study of the causes or the origin of a disease. So here's kind of the, really the pathology and he spells it out for us. Here's the first fill in the blank on your notes. So what is idolatry? It is to suppress the truth and be without excuse. So we know there's a God and yet we suppress that truth and, and the Bible says, well, you're without excuse. John 3, 19, Jesus said... Here's the verdict. He's talking to Nicodemus, third chapter of John. He says, "This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men prefer darkness over light. So, it's not that we don't have enough revelation, existence of God. It's not that we don't have enough uh, revelation of the existence of God. It's all around us. And um, I heard this just a couple of weeks ago in a in a sermon. It was pretty profound. Genesis 1, 27, it says what? It says that you and I were created in the image of God. And what do images do? Image, image. Image, the original. Images or statues are erected to display, to to point to, to glorify, to reflect originals. Would you agree with that? So when you erect a statue, so in essence... He's saying that we are, in essence, a statue. We, we reflect the image of God. God made people in His image so that the world would be filled with reflectors of God. Listen to me. God created us so that we would be reflectors of God. Six billion statues of God. God on this planet earth so that man is without excuse so that we would not miss the point that it's all about God. I mean, just take a minute. Just go ahead and look around in here. You're sitting next to images of God, really nice-looking images of God, I would have to say. Go ahead and turn to that person next to you and say, hey, you're a pretty good, nice-looking image of God. Real quick, do that. Now, if you don't know the person sitting next to you, you probably shouldn't do that, okay? Unless you want to get to know them. You're a nice-looking image of God. So, so you get the point? All around us, God exists. We are reflectors of God. Whether you live for God's glory or not, you are giving God's glory because you, you're alive. You're breathing. You're 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 here. And then when you, when you take the very fact that you are created in the image of God and then you begin to live for His glory, oh my goodness, that even magnifies that much more our maker. And yet we suppress that. We want to make life about anything and everything other than, than God. And that you and I were created by God for God to give glory to God. Here's the next thing. It is to exchange the truth of God for a lie. So verse, uh, Romans 3.23, if you go a few chapters over, you don't need to, but, but it says that, let see if you can complete this. Many know this verse. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You guys know that. What is that saying? It's saying that that's what you were created to do. You were created to live in, in your life in such a way that people would look at your life and they would go wow, I want to know what you know. I want to know the God that you know, that that your life would, would point to the Maker, that you'd find amazing satisfaction in Him that they would want to know who you know. But he says we've fallen short of that. John Piper put it this way. He says, idolatry is the suicidal exchange of infinite value and beauty For some fleeting, inferior substitute. C.S. Lewis would put it this way. So, when we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the Creator, in essence, what we're doing, C.S. Lewis said, is that we are playing in the mud puddle like little children when God offers us a Caribbean cruise. And let me put it in my words. It is like dumpster diving. Anybody ever dumpster dive? Okay. Hopefully it wasn't because you you were desperate and you needed food, but uh, there are those that do that. But if you're dumpster diving, it's like you're dumpster diving and when he offers you a banquet table. I love football. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I, I can't believe that the Cardinals are like 3-0 and now. I mean, it is like, it's amazing. But uh, you know what's amazing is, uh, is that Nancy and I got some tickets uh, about a year or so ago, and we went to a Cardinals game, and it was a Raiders game. And I'll never do that again. Those Raider fans, they're the, like the worst in the world. we got a few Raiders fans in here, so i got to be careful because they'll, because they'll try to beat me up in the parking lot later. Because that's what Raider fans do. There were fights that broke out around us, and I'm so glad my wife was there to protect me. Because there was like three or four fights that broke out, and two of them were with my wife and them. It's like, come on! I said, oh, oh, oh yeah, go get them! It's like, uh but it was crazy, you know, and I thought, I thought to myself, wow, these people are crazy. They're out of control. They're dumpster diving compared to the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with, with that, and I guess if you want to paint yourself up and act goofy and, and do all that, but if you get more excited and you're more over the top for that, the Bible said you're dumpster diving. You're playing in the mud puddle you have no idea what you're missing out on in the glory of God. See, that's the point. That's what he's saying here. That we would exchange the beauty and the glory of God for all these, all this trivial stuff, this temporal stuff. That, that we would get so upset over these replacement refs. I mean, did you see the game on Monday night that one guy's going like this, the other guy's going like this? It's like, What? What's going on here? That's a fiasco. And then they interviewed some of the, the cardinal guys, and they said, yeah, that could make a difference. And the end of the season is, you know, it's just like, whatever. Get over it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. In light of eternity, in light of God, but it's amazing how that stuff can capture our hearts. We pour our lives into those things. Nothing wrong with any of those things. We'll talk more about those things. But you've got to keep them in perspective. That's what he's saying. And then it says here, it is to worship and serve. So what is, what is idolatry? So to suppress the truth and be without excuse, to exchange the truth of God for a lie, it is to worship and serve created things more than the creator. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what the number one of the top ten list is, that of the Ten Commandments. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? See if they know what it is. Real quick, do that. Okay, what is it? Yell it out to me. That's, that's actually the second one. Good try. That's a good try. No other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Anybody get that? All of you. Even if you didn't, you raised your hand anyway, didn't you? We're going to talk about lying here in just a minute. Okay? Okay. Um, So no other gods before me. This is what he's saying. You shall have no other gods before me. Martin Luther was the guy, and and many theologians would say this, is that we we violate 2 through 10 on that list in direct proportion to how we've already first violated 1. You can't violate 2 through 10 unless you first violate 1. You shall have no other gods before me. All of our problems are rooted in idolatry, that at that moment, either God is God or we're choosing something or someone else as our God when we sin. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. Um, I'm more of a people pleaser than my wife and, but my wife is a whole lot sweeter than I am. Would you guys agree with that? Okay. Hey don't get so happy about that but uh, and she is that's true but I'm probably more, and, and I say that in a in a negative way, in the fact that I'm more of a people-pleaser. It's, it's always been a struggle with me. It's been one of my idols. It's called codependency, being more concerned about what people say about me than what God has already said about me through the cross. Can anybody relate to that? Show of hands. Yeah. I think all of us to struggle to a certain degree with people-pleasing. And so it, it was, you know, early on in the church, I remember how hard it would be someone would, would come and bring to me, uh, you know, a book that they wanted me to review or look and give my feedback on or listen to this music or whatever. I'd throw it in my bag. So busy. Forget about it. We'd cross paths. A person would say, hey, Pastor Ray, did you get a chance to listen or read? And I would like, ah, be so tempted because I want them to like me. I want, I, I, you know, I don't want them to think that I wasn't thinking about them, but I wasn't thinking about them. And uh, and, and I want them to like me And I want, and I want to, you know, I want them to think that I like them or to know that I like them. And so you're so tempted. When, when you're tempted to lie, what is going on at that moment? At that moment, it's idolatry. That I am more concerned about what you or that person says about me than what about God has said about me. Would you guys agree with that? That's idolatry. You know, if that happened to my wife, you know, she would look at you and say, not only did I forget about what you gave me, but I forgot about you too. And uh, and she wouldn't do that in a rude way. That's just that's just kind of how she is. She's, she doesn't take it. She's not going to take it personal. She's going to be honest about it. And kind of and that's that's that honesty. And yet, oftentimes when we when we lie, cheat, or steal, it's because we have we are violating. We are forgetting. We are forgetting who it is that walks through our day with us. We are forgetting the God that we serve and that we honor. We are forgetting about the acceptance and the security and the significance that we have in Him, and we're, we have replaced God with something or someone else in that moment. Do um, you guys remember the guy, uh, Bernie Madoff? Does that name ring a bell? Show of hands? Okay. Bernie Madoff is serving prison time. When Bernie Madoff, he made off with billions of dollars. That's not a play on words, but that's you know, actually his last, uh, his last name. But Bernie Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison for running a $65 billion Ponzi scheme, probably the biggest in the history of the United States of America. And he publicly blamed his pride. At some time in the past, he had faced a year in which he should have reported significant losses, but he could not And I quote here from him. He could not admit his failures as a money manager. He could not accept, the writer goes on here, he could not accept the loss of power and reputation. So what is that telling you about his idol? What's more more important to him? Power, reputation. He could not accept the loss of power and reputation that such an admission would bring. Once he began to hide his weaknesses through the Ponzi scheme, he then couldn't admit his error in judgment while the scheme grew, always thinking he could work his way out. He's not a Christian, but but what was he doing? It's idolatry. Why would he hide all of that? Because his reputation and the money… By the way, he left a lot of people high and dry. So, idolatry… It is anything more important to you than God. That's what an idol is. It is is anything more important to you than God. Think about that. It is anything that captivates your heart more than God. It can be a good thing. And usually it is a good thing that has become an ultimate thing. It is anything more fundamental to your happiness, meaning, and significance than God. It is anything that you look at and say, if I have that... Then I'll feel accepted, secure, significant. There's a whole list. Let me just, I don't know, I'm not going to bore you with the whole list, but I think that I want some of you to begin to identify your idols. Everybody here has idols. And in that, when he says, You shall have no other gods before me, there's no third option. You're either going to serve the living God or you're going to serve an idol. What, wait, man, I want, what if I don't want to have any God? You have a God. Everybody has a God. If it's not the living God, you have a God. You can't function. You have to have something at the center of your life. The, the Bible's very clear about that. All of us are worshipers. We all worship. We are worshiping every day. What are we worshiping? Here's some, a list of different idols. So, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. That would be the power idolatry. Or this one, life only has meaning, I only have worth if I am loved and respected by, it could be co-workers, it could be whatever, you could fill in the blank, approval idolatry. Life only has meaning, I only have worth if I have the kind of pleasure experience, a particular quality of life. That would be comfort idolatry. Life only has meaning, I only have worth if I am able to get mastery over my life in this area. It can be finances, exercise. That can be control idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if people are dependent on me and need me. That's a helping idolatry. And then there's a dependence idolatry. And then there's an independence idolatry. And there's a work idolatry. Achievement, materialism. Here's a a religion. We talked about religion and irreligion last week. Listen to how this idolatry works. Life only has meaning... I only have worth if I am adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplished in its activities. Here's an uh, irreligion idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth. So this is what you're saying to yourself. You you might not even know this, but it's what you're living for. It's, It's at the center of your life. I feel I am totally independent of organized when I feel that I'm totally independent and organized of, of organized religion, and am living by a self-made morality. That's that irreligion idolatry. And then there's a r- racial, cultural idolatry, inner ring, family, relationship, suffering idolatry. That's a, a bit masochistic, but it's life only has meaning. I only have worth. If I'm hurting in a problem, only then do I feel... Um, worthy of love or able to deal with guilt. There's an uh, ideology. Life only has meaning, I only have worth, if my political or social cause is making progress and ascending in influence or power. Let me just say something about the election coming up. You need to vote. But regardless how this election ends up, There's going to be a lot of people that are really upset and freak out and be depressed and all of that. Let me just say that's idolatry if, if that's the case for you. And you probably don't know God because God is still in control regardless of how this goes down. Now, you need, you need to be a good citizen of the United States and vote and vote for those that best represent our Christian values. But you don't freak out over that stuff. You keep, you keep praying for your country and for your neighborhood and you keep reaching out. Here's the last one. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have a particular kind of look or body image. It's the image idolatry. So I mean, the list goes on. This is just a short list. What are your idols? What do you struggle with? Let's go on to the next. What are the consequences? I think they're pretty obvious. Let's knock these out quickly. You see this in Genesis 3, this, this rippling effect. It begins with spiritual alienation and then there's a psychological and then there's a social and then there's worldwide uh, alienation that takes place. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Death is separation from God. So you've got an intellectual confusion and frustration. We see that in verse 21. Futile in their thinking. The next one is emotional. You're going to have to write fast here. Emotional confusion and frustration. So you've got intellectual, emotional confusion and frustration. Verse 21, foolish hearts were darkened Then it leads to bondages and addictions. We see this in verse 24, 26, 28. He gave them up to the sinful desires of their heart. Now, what is that? I need to talk about that just for a moment. Everybody look up here. He gave them up. He gave them up to their own desires. He gave them up to their own desires. I believe that this is the passive passive wrath of God upon mankind, and this is what it is. You can't infer from prosperity that God is pleased with us, nor can you know from disaster that God is displeased with us. The worst punishment may be to get the happy life you want. That way, you never wake up to your pride, self-righteousness, or need for God. Some of the best things that have ever happened to you and I is when we experienced suffering and it shook us out of our self-absorption and self-centeredness and we stopped looking inward and started looking upward and had an encounter with God that we wouldn't trade for anything. And uh, that's what he's saying. He turned them over. Okay, you want to be happy? Be happy. But you'll notice there's this spiraling effect because, because it doesn't satisfy. Idols do not satisfy our lives. And in fact, what's interesting here is because any false god becomes a tyrant which can never be satisfied. Idols are terribly unforgiving and unfulfilling. Let me walk you through this just for a minute. Just think about your own life. If you live for your career, or if you live for your family, if you live for money, if you live for personal beauty or athleticism or whatever, put anything you want in the blank. If you live for any of those and you don't do well, it will punish you the rest of your life. Even if you do well. Ultimately, it's not satisfying because you're trying to meet a need within you, a hole in your soul that ultimately only God can fill. So it drives this this addiction, this OCD, this this pursuit of drivenness, whether it be workaholism or whatever it is, it drives our lives. If you look at your drivenness, it's often based on that lie that you've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and you're worshiping and serving a created thing more than a creator because you're thinking, if I could just get one more, you know, one more iPhone 5, how many more are they going to have? people were standing in line. That's crazy. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's all all good stuff, but it's almost like there's almost an obsession over technology. Got to have the next and latest. Got to have this. Got to have that. I mean, if I looked at my life, when I looked through the the trajectory of my life, you know, for me it was like the 10-speed bike. And then, then the 10-speed, some of you don't even know what a 10-speed is. 10-speed? What's a 10-speed? And then it went to like 16 and 17 and then 21, and then after that it was the car, and then the car wasn't fast enough. I wanted a truck, and then I had the truck, but then I wanted a boat, and the boat wasn't fast enough. It could, it could pull up two skiers, but not four. And so I wanted, stop! Oh, my goodness! That's that addiction. That's that bondage. What are you living for? Jesus is the only Lord that when you fail Him, will forgive you, and when you get Him, will fulfill you. Unbelievable. Next one, decay of personal and corporate life. I mean, He goes through all of that. I I went through and kind of made an order out of it so because this behavior deteriorates, it leads to economic disorder. You've got covetousness in that whole list that we read there at the end of our text. Social disorder, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, family breakup. Be- besides same-sex marriage, you've got uh, they disobey their parents. And then relational breakup, gossip, slanders, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Character uh, breakdown, foolish, faithful, heartless, ruthless. How many remember the movie by Mel Gibson and its uh, signs? Anybody ever see the movie, show of hands? Interesting movie based on this pastor who experiences tragic accident, loss of his wife in a, in a car accident, and so he loses his wife, and inadvertently he does what? He loses his faith. Idolatry. How's that, Pastor A? Here's how it is. Anytime you come to God and say, I will worship and serve you if you give me this or do that for me, God isn't the one you're worshiping and serving. It's the if. It's the if. That's your real Lord and Savior. If you chuck God because you didn't get what you wanted, I mean, think about that. That's idolatry. That which should have helped him through a devastating time in his life and help him navigate that and come out better as a result of that he crashed because he had exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served a created thing more than a creator. He was more concerned about his wife. Now, I'm not denying the fact that that's not devastating. But if, but if you exchange, a, if you make a good thing into an ultimate thing, if you lose a good thing, you're going to be sad. And you're going to have to grieve it. But if that good thing has become an ultimate thing, it's going to be despair and you're going to be even suicidal. Can you see how we can overly attach our hearts to things? And so, I mean, that's, that's the devastation. That's, idolatry is, is the sin below the sin within our lives. Listen, you and I were meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the day And to look into the very face of the one who created us. And to experience his amazing affection and love and acceptance and security and significance. And then out of that abundance, live our lives for his glory. But if you and I try to find intimacy, or pursue any number of things, career, you know, education, whatever job, whatever, whatever it is that we're pursuing, if we try to do that before we achieve a sense of identity on our own through Christ, all of our relationships, all of our pursuits will be in an effort to complete ourselves. All we can do when we live our lives like that is is bring emptiness and and desperation into those relationships and into those pursuits. Are you tracking with me? That's why we've always got to come back to God. And, And because of what Jesus Christ has done, in the face of Jesus Christ, it tells us in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, that's the glory of God. It's in the face of Jesus, and it's beholding the glory of God. We are being transformed into His likeness. It tells us that in... In the third chapter of Second Corinthians, verse 18, it's amazing. That's what we need, is to have that sense of identity established in Him. And then we don't run wild in this world and crazy. Yeah, we perform, and we perform with a sense of excellence, but it's not out of neediness or out of desperation, trying to fill an emptiness inside, so therefore we're not driven. We have good, healthy boundaries. We can say no to certain things, and yes to the, the more appropriate things in our lives. So how do you identify these idols? Here here you go. Um, And I think it's important not only to be able to discern your your personal idols, but also cultural idols. And so this is what we're going to have you do. I want to have you discuss this just really quick, but, but let's see if you can identify cultural idols here. We did this about a year and a half ago. Let's do it again. I think it's important for you to identify it because many of us are easily sucked into the cultural idols here in the Southwest, particularly here in Phoenix, metropolitan area. So, in New York, they ask, how much does he make? That would be an idol, affluence. In Boston, they ask, what does he know? Education. In Philadelphia, they ask, what family is he from? In Washington, they they ask what? What political party is he with? What would they ask in Phoenix? What would they ask in Phoenix? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what they would ask in Phoenix. Real quick. By the way, here's a hint. Hint, hint, hint. When you drove in this morning on the campus, you got a little bit of a hint. People that are on this campus right now, they're not here, but they're out there. You got a little bit of a hint. Not that that's bad, but that can be bad when you substitute that for this. Real quick, do that. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you. Okay, yell it out to me. What do you guys think? What's the what's the leisure? Got it right there. Leisure, fun. What do you do for fun? What do you do for leisure? How many got that? So less of you raised your hand on that one, because after I said about the lying thing, huh? It's leisure. I mean, we got the, I mean, we got great weather for the most part. I mean, it's kind of hot, but people still get out and golf, do all kinds of things. We still get out in the backyard barbecues and do all those things, and that becomes a major substitute. Listen. Ever since they uh, built a stadium over here uh, for the Cardinals, they have maxed it out. They have sold out ever since they built. And, and the Cardinals aren't even that good sometimes, you know. And there's been a few years that they were really terrible. And people are still, yeah, here, here's here's some money. I'll give you money. I'll go watch them and cheer them on and all that. And that's cool. I mean, certainly they're not like me, a fair-weathered fan, but uh, only kind of cheering for them when they're doing well. But but what does that say? What does that say about our culture when you look around at our culture? Those things interfere with uh, our church life. In fact, this is what I found here about Desert Breeze is that when football, when the football games are, are on, our attendance actually drops. When there are certain games, I've even watched the attitude of people in here when they come to church. When, they're, when our favorite team has won, we're excited. When it's, when it's down and not doing so well, everybody comes in kind of moping. Isn't that interesting? That's an idol. Those are idols. Look at our idols. So this is how, and this was revolutionary for me as I began to identify my own idols. Let me walk you through this. This is something we probably go through at least once a year. So, and this is where I got the idea. We got to look at the heart. The heart is at the heart of idolatry. Verse 21, he uses the word futile thinking, darkened hearts. Verse 24, lust of their hearts. Verse 26, dishonorable passions. Verse 28, debased mind. So he's talking about the heart. 900 times, heart is used in the Bible. So I start here. Look at your actions. What do I effortlessly spend my time and money for? What do you have a hard time saying no to? Let me just give you a little hint of what my idol was for many years. Still can be if I'm not careful. It's books. You knew that, didn't you? Yeah, some of you guys that know that. It's like books. You know that. Man, after my own addiction right there. Yeah, books. I could just like money and then somebody, you know, was needing a hand. I was like, hey, forget you, man. I got to buy another book. So if you start looking at that attitude, you go, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that. I can effortlessly give my money and time. What do, you, what do you effortlessly give your time to? When you're wanting just to kill time, what do you do? And I'm not saying that there isn't some time to, it's okay to do that, but, but when, when all your time is directed to certain things, I'll guarantee you, you can identify where your idol is. What do you have a hard time saying no to? How about your feelings? What stirs my deepest emotions? What emotions are inconsolable? That there's nothing to console them. How about the inordinate emotions and desires in my life? You've heard me say that many, many times here. So let me walk you through the process. This is what I do in my own life. So if you have a good thing, if a good thing is being threatened, let's just say it's a a marriage relationship, it's a job, it's keeping in shape, whatever it is. If a good thing is being threatened, it's normal that you're going to be anxious. But if that good thing has become an ultimate thing and it's being threatened, you're not just going to be anxious, you're going to be paranoid. You're going to have major sleepless nights. Does that make sense? Can you see the, the, the stronger emotional response to those things that we have overly attached our hearts to? So if you've got a good thing and it is being blocked, you didn't get the raise. In fact, your boss gave his cousin the raise instead of you. You found out about it. So that was a a blocked goal. So you got a good thing that is blocked, you're going to become angry. But if that good thing has become an ultimate thing, you're going to become bitter. I could, I'm going to knife his tires in a parking lot. That's what I'm going to do. I'm out. If you have a good thing and it's lost, you're going to be sad, but if that good thing has become an ultimate thing, you're not just going to be sad, you're going to be depressed and maybe even suicidal. I mean, I don't know how many times I've read of, you know, these athletes who committed suicide because of career-ending injuries. Why? Because that was their life. That was their identity. So that's that's what I do is I kind of look at my own life and look at my excitement. And, and by the way, if I am getting more excited about a football game than I am coming in here and worshiping God, and there's something wrong with that. There's something majorly wrong. You look at your, you look at your emotions and, uh, and see where's it going. By the way, I was reading this. This was really interesting. This was very convicting. I was reading this, John Piper, discerning idolatry in Desire, and this is what he said. Let me just walk you through this. Enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it is disproportionate to the worth of what is desired. In other words, if you're, I mean, these temporal things, sometimes we get so worked up over them and it's like, this is temporary, man. It's temporal. Great desire for non-great things is a sign that we are beginning to make those things idols. When We get stressed out at traffic? Come on. I mean, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong. There's idolatry. There's idolatry underneath that. I do it just like you. The things we get upset at. Enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it is not permeated with gratitude. When our enjoyment... Five Guys hamburgers. How many have ever eaten at Five Guys? It's expensive. Don't buy the drink. It's like two bucks a drink. That's how we can eat there. Enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it is not permeated with gratitude. If I can't eat a five-guy's hamburger and give gratitude to God, when our enjoyment of something tends to make us not think of God, it is moving toward idolatry. Listen to what, what else he said. Enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it does not see in God's gift that God himself is more to be desired than the gift. All these are gifts. Gifts are what? They're gifts from God and pointers to God. Enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it is starting to feel like a right and our delight is becoming a demand. Enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it draws me away from my duties, my responsibilities. That could be men, sports. I mean, it seems like there's football games on every night of the week. Some of you just woke up, praise God! No, that can be idolatry. Because you start neglecting everything. else. okay, I'll get back to that. I'll get back to that when the season's over. You said that the last 10 seasons. So I, I thought that was uh, pretty convicting, and since I was convicted, I want to share that with you. thought you should uh, be able to experience some of that. Thoughts. What, do you, what dominates my thoughts? What do you daydream about? What do you worry and regret? Archbishop William Temple said, your religion is what you do in your solitude. I had, a, I had a really rough night last night. And I think sometimes when I'm dealing with a real tough topic like this, I had one of these rough nights a few, few weeks ago when we were talking about spiritual warfare. And I think this is a major spiritual warfare kind of a topic. It's really hardcore. It's at the root of all of our issues. Really sleepless night. And there was times when I would have those sleepless nights and I, the things that would dominate my thoughts were things that had to do with work or performance or brain debates about what people said about me. And when I recognized that, I said, wait a minute, none of that timeout. And so I spent most of the night just interceding and praying and, and talking to God and had a wonderful time last night. I didn't get much sleep, but had a wonderful time last night just encountering God. He gave me even some greater revelation as I was working through this. It was amazing. But, there, I mean, there was many times I would just wasted, it, sit in front of the TV, watch another infomercial. It's like, ah, I hope I go to sleep soon, rather than to turn it into something. When, you, when you're free to think about what you're free to think about, what do you think about? Some of you need to even watch your thoughts even in here. Some of you are like drifting off. Oh, when is this guy going to be over? There's a game on today. (laughs) Exactly. What's happening? And then the next one is treasure. Really, that's the root of it. What are you treasuring? Whatever you treasure, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Whatever you treasure controls your heart, and whatever controls your heart controls your life. Rebecca Pippard in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, she says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. I've got two quick stories. I'll give you the last fill in the blanks. It'll go fast. And then Ryan's going to come up and lead and, and do a song for us. But this is how I want to kind of end it. Let me share a quick story here. Uh, this is a, a story of a young gal. She was in her teenage years and she was just really anxious and angry and even depressed over the fact that she couldn't get a date. She's a teenager, high school. All of her friends were, were dating. She couldn't get a date. And by the way, I personally feel that you shouldn't start dating, and, dating until you're at least 40. And um, how many uh, parents agree with that? Woo, okay, see, there you go. Did you see your parents back there? Okay. And so, uh, you don't start dating until you're ready to get married. And you should be doing group dating up to that point. And then that's when, probably about in the mid-20s, that's where you're going to have your greatest success uh, in that dating. This isn't a dating talk, but there's my talk. And uh, she couldn't get a date. She was upset. She went to the pastor. The pastor sat her down and said, are you a Christian? She goes, yeah. So we begin to walk through the implications of what it means to be a Christian. She says, "So, so then you know that you're a child of God. Um... You're a friend of Jesus Christ. You're a member of the family of God. You've been set free from all of your sins, from the penalty of sin. He's in the process of working in your life to set you free from the power of sin, working in your life. That's amazing. He's, he indwells you with his presence. And, and by the way, your future is secure in him. Just rest in him. Everything's, you know, if you'll continue to look to him. And, I mean, he went through and spent a whole lot of time just helping her, you know, helping her to see this. And when he got to the end of this, she looked at him kind of like, what good is that if you can't get a date? She didn't get it, did she? And neither do you and I because we say the same thing. What good is all of that eternal glory for the temporal things? If I can't get a raise, if I can't land the job, if I don't get the education, if I, there's always some if only there. All of us live like that and yet we don't get it. Here's my second story. And this is where I'll give you the fill in the blanks as we wrap this up. Henry and Kevin had both lost their jobs because of an unfair action by their bosses. Henry forgave his boss, moved on, was doing very well, while Kevin could not move past it. He stayed bitter and cynical, and it affected his future career path. Take a look at your notes. How do I overcome idolatry? if we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship serve created things more than the creator you can't remove idols you must replace them and you replace them by kind of reversing your way out of that we worshipped our way into idolatry you worship your way out um, and so, so well meaning friends came along the first one is moral approach well meaning friends came along and they tried to work directly on his will hey come on get past it move on you shouldn't act like that Christians don't act like that, working on his behavior. That doesn't go deep enough. Because a person, the way a person evaluates the events of life determines how they think, feel, and behave. And so it's really about your evaluation. It's about your, your worldview. It's about your belief system. You've got to get down to your belief system. So behavioral modification doesn't do that. And then some other well-meaning friends came along and, and they tried to help him by working on his thoughts and emotions. They said, you shouldn't be thinking like that. Shouldn't feel like that. God loves you. And the more sympathy people showed Kevin, the more he felt justified in his anger and the more his self-pity grew. And so that's your next fill in the blank. So you've got moral approach, you've got psychological approach, but then we've got to move to the gospel approach, the treasure. What's your treasure? What are you treasuring? What is operating in the place of Jesus Christ as your functional Lord and Savior? so that's what the gospel does. The gospel asks, what is operating in the place of Jesus Christ as your real functional salvation and Savior? What are you looking to in order to justify yourselves? Whatever it is, it is a counterfeit God and to make a change in your life, you must identify it and reject it as such. So the next in your fill in the blank is you've got to name the idols. What are your idols? When you have those inordinate emotions pegging, there's an idol underneath that and then you repent of those idols. Romans 2.4, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, and then you rejoice in Christ. Psalm four eight. taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me continue reading, and I'm going to invite Ryan up. This is, this is how the story continues on. Kevin was looking to his career to prove himself, and when something went wrong, he felt condemned. He was paralyzed because the very foundations of his identity were falling apart. He made no progress until he saw that he had made his career his self-salvation. It was not just that he had to forgive his boss. His real problem was that something besides Jesus Christ was the functioning, was functioning as his Savior. The writer goes on here. This is Tim Keller from his book, Counterfeit God's Great Book. He says, there is always something underneath your inordinate and out-of-control problems, desires, patterns, attitudes, and emotions. Until you find out what it is, you cannot have life and peace. Kevin came to see that though he technically believed he was loved with God's costly grace, it wasn't an absorbing truth that had captured his heart and imagination. What his boss said to him was more real and affecting to his heart than what the king of the universe had said. And so what he had to do is its worship realignment. Stop worshiping what his boss had said about him and start worshiping what Jesus had said about him. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment. Let's pray. God, what what unbelievable truths these are to bring freedom to our lives. And God, we know that sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with you. So teach us how how we must rejoice in how your son Jesus satisfies us specific to the need that we are trying to have met through the idol. God, help us that when we see our hearts being turned toward idols through the inordinate emotions and passions that we would stop ourselves, stop our hearts, and begin to look at Jesus giving to us the very thing that our heart wants from the idol. Lord, teach us how to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ryan's going to sing a song here, and it's just meant for you just to reflect on these words and just to to rejoice in God and what he has for you. My... uh, one of my grandsons, Ezra James, uh, came over to the house. He's a little two-year-old dude, and we were uh, watching him, and Grandpa was sitting out on the back porch eating bluebell ice cream. It's good stuff. I've never tasted it before. It was the first time I had it, Nancy bought it. It cost $100 a carton. And uh, it wasn't that much, but it was this praline, caramel, really yummy stuff. And this little guy came over to me like this, and he knew I was eating something, and he, he's like, ah. So I gave him a couple bites, and he just like, ooh, he was like lit up. Ooh, 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 ooh I'm going to hang out with Grandpa. And then his grandma brought some nasty old vegetables out for him to eat because he hadn't eaten lunch yet. He didn't want to have anything to do with those vegetables until he realized that Grandpa was not going to give him any more, and then he ate the vegetables. I think it's a perfect example of what we're, what we're about. It's through the explosive power of a new affection. When your affection for Jesus exceeds your affection for those things in this world, That's when you're going to overcome the things in this world. God is most glorified in us. We're most satisfied in Him. Let this song just soak and absorb the goodness of God this morning. Whatever it is that's troubling you, let that just be chased away by His presence this morning. give my
1: life again Every breath I have For you are mine reward Jesus take my life sacrifice all I have is yours all I have is yours you are my reward All I'm living for I surrender all my life to you You're all-consuming fire You are my desire No one else will do I surrender all my life to you With open hands, they're lifted high to you. Could my heart can all your love for me. You're all I need to know. You're all, you're all I need to know. You are my reward, you're all I'm living for, I surrender all my life to you. All-consuming fire, you are my desire, no one else will do, I surrender all my life to you. Nothing compares to knowing You. Nothing compares to loving You. I give You my life to follow You, my King. Nothing compares to knowing You. Nothing compares to loving You. I give You my life to follow You, my King. You are my reward. You're all I'm living for I surrender all my life to you All-consuming fire You are my desire I surrender all my life to you You are my reward You are my reward You're all I'm living for I surrender all my life to you. All consuming fire, you are my desire. No one else but you. I surrender all my life to you. All
0: to you. Could you stand with me? So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you, may God be most glorified in you as you are most satisfied in him. And when you do that, you will be crucified to the things of this world. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you.